Welcome to Series 5 of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is David McGurk, a player who played a part in every season York City were in the non-league from 2004 to 2012. Here he talks openly about the rollercoaster ride of playing for the Minstermen for the majority of his playing career. This series is proudly sponsored by Planning Prospects, who are town planning and development consultants who specialise in obtaining planning permissions for their clients across the country. If you have land or property where you want to get planning permission, then they may be able to help. For more information, then please visit their website, planningprospects.co.uk. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider donating via our Just Giving page, justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio, justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. But without further ado, here is David McGurk. So David, Middlesbrough born and bred, I'm sure you would have dreamt of being captain at the Riverside growing up, but I guess the next best thing is to be a professional footballer at a North East club and that happened for you at Darlington. Yeah, growing up I wanted to play for Middlesbrough and I did play a couple of games like under 13s, 14s level. Um, if you can imagine, my, my house actually looked onto the old Middlesbrough training ground where the gate out the back garden was straight onto the field. So from six, seven year old, we used to get home from school as quickly as possible because there was times within an afternoon during half terms just it was a different environment then you could just go out and watch them you know and then we just constantly played on that field lifting heavy metal goals up which you wouldn't recommend now to kids so I wanted to play for Middlesbrough um, wasn't quite good enough I, as a kid and then at under 16s quite late within season uh, Darlington picked me up and then offered me a, a youth team scholarship from there and, and that'll have been sort of back in the days where it was cleaning boots and all that sort of stuff I'd imagine yeah, it was. Yeah, kind of them values were were drilled into us. It was quite old school, cleaning minibuses, having to get up at like seven o'clock in the morning to get a bus to catch a train to get another bus, and then a, a minibus from Darlington to Durham. So it was it was long days, but you wouldn't have changed it for the world. And um, it was Martin Gray actually came in halfway through my youth scholarship there, and he really drilled that into us in terms of the old school values. And I think it's lost a little bit now, and I understand why, but. Um, it didn't do us any harm back in the day. I've done a little bit of digging of your time at Downton and, and clearly you were very well thought of and, and doing quite well. Is it sort of fair to say without injuries that hampered your development, you might have never come to York in the first place? Possibly, but I think David Hodgson came in, it was the manager that I kind of left with, but he was signing players from the Premier League and Championship on the way down, like 31, 32-year-olds. And he seemed to want that type of player. Didn't really have a lot of trust in the, the younger players, especially myself with it being a defender, which, which is understandable. I probably needed another two, three years development. But once I got a taste of first-team football, I wanted that every week. I didn't want to go and sit on the bench with Darlington. And it wasn't a case of he actually released, released me. He sat me down and said, I'm going to offer you another contract. I told him that I'd like to speak to York, which he was he was fair with. I went and spoke with York, and that's when I eventually signed permanently with them. But um, he, he was good with me. I was always in and around the squads, but as soon as I told him I wanted that first team football, he was open to it and he let me go. Yeah, and just sort of moving it back a stage, sort of when you first came to York, you signed on a month's loan, I think, by Chris Brass, which I guess will have been to serve that purpose, like you said, to get some game time. What do you remember about the state of a club at that, that point? Because York had obviously just dropped out of the football league, and I think fans are a little bit unhappy. Did you? What, what was the vibe like in the dressing room and the club in general? It was difficult because um, 
I've got a lot of respect for Brassy, but I think he went the wrong route in terms of recruitment. With he signed a lot of older players, and there was a massive split in the dressing room between 32 plus year olds and then 19, 20 year olds. There was no real in between, so it wasn't a what you'd say was in a dressing room that was really getting on with each other. They had some difficult times before I came in, but me and Gaz Pearson, who I knew very well, um, started at centre half together and, and give sort of a foundation. We picked up some good results and. I was desperate to come back I was really desperate to come back but there was no money there and I got, I got told at the end of the loan spell if we win the FA Cup first round game we'll come back and sign you and then they drew Carlisle away which was the most difficult draw I could have got um, so yeah I couldn't go back during that spell at all and uh, during that season at all and as much as I wanted to I just had to get my head down and focus at Darlington but constantly look for the results and how they were getting on and you could see that they weren't really picking up anywhere and the recruitment that had been done at the beginning of the season I think they put a big drain on the budget so they couldn't really change things around. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned there that you signed again the following season on a more longer term loan, didn't you? W- was it the club's decision to sign you then or, or do you think it was Billy McEwen's because he wasn't there when you were signed first on loan? Yeah, well, again, I went in um, to the the manager at Darlington said I want to go on loan my name was circulated and Scarborough and York showed an interest and at the time I actually wanted to speak to Scarborough there was a couple of Darlington lads who'd gone there um, I'd seen what had gone on at York the previous season and Scarborough seemed to be like a club on the up it was Neil Redfern at the time he ended up signing Simon Weaver in front of me which my option then was to go to York I didn't know anything about Billy McEwen at the time so I was going. it was me going in a bit blind to York I don't know if Billy had done his research or if um, Jason had sort of given a bit of feedback on my first loan spell but yeah went down there enjoyed the, the sessions with Billy and then threw straight into a, a friendly I think it was Sheffield Wednesday and spent the next um, six months there which again I just love playing first team football so I, I wanted to extend that and, w- and what was Billy like because he, he seemed obviously quite feisty from the sidelines but, w- but he also seems to quite like to bring sort of young players through so what was your relationship like with him? I don't think he had a choice in terms of bringing young players through um, because of the, the budget. It, the budget wasn't great. But what Billy was, he was a very good coach and he loved spending time coaching players. It was Billy's way or <laughs> there was no other way but Billy's way. You know, he'd send you in if you weren't doing it his way. But I think... I think he got the best out of a lot of young players like Clayton Donaldson I don't think he'd be the player he was without Billy and he, Clayton would probably acknowledge that but then Billy could also fall out with people I know him and Andy Bishop didn't see eye to eye along the way him and Neil Bishop at times because when players and you're not, you're not going to get the same with every player so Billy went for younger players who want, who sort of followed him when there was a little bit of um, what's the word for it like arguing back Billy didn't like that and that's why I think he ended up going for that type of, of younger player and Neil Bishop Andy Bishop strong personalities and that's where things kind of went went wrong when Billy like started bringing them players in You struck up a real good partnership with James uh, Dudgeon that season and the team were doing much better like you say with Clayton Donaldson and so towards the end of that, that a second loan spell you netted your first goal ironically against Scarborough in front of a packed Longhurst uh, stand of 5,000 there what what was your memories of that game and um, did that atmosphere that day sort of make you want to stay at York City because you made your debut against Northwich in the previous loan spell and I think they played Lee RMI on the Tuesday night in front of 1,700 whereas this was yeah, a, yeah. you know only a year further forward but much 
you know, much healthier position for the club. I, I love playing at Birmingham, no matter what it was that going like the David Longer stand attacking that way, no matter who we were playing, it would always give you a boost. But when it was full, especially when there was a big away following as well, it made a, made a huge difference. And they're the type of games where, I just listen to a brilliant podcast with Steven Gerrard, you just go into a zone in them games where you don't need to think about anything, you don't hear anything, you just, you're just performing at your maximum. So I love playing in them types of games. And I remember we, we started terribly and I think we were on a bad run of form as well and Manny came on didn't he I think Manny came on that game and he'd give the, the whole place a lift even the players on the pitch and then for me to get that goal yeah I scored the goal and I, I knew I'd scored it and then Darren Dunnan who crossed it was off celebrating as well as though he'd scored it but yeah it was good to get that goal and it made a big difference to us winning that game it gives, it gives a boost because we had been in a little bit of a, a bad run um, but Scarborough had come on the back of a decent run we turned them over and I think it sort of revitalised our season a little bit well that's it and then you know I think that was the second to last game before you went back to Downton and you were there for about a month but in that month York really struggled but then when you came back it coincided with six straight wins and you scored another header in a 5-1 winner the Forest Green I don't know if you remember that game but I looked look back at it last night what terrible pitch it was at the time at Boone yeah, Crescent but yeah. But the, the club fell short of the playoffs, um, which is miraculous when you consider the, the likes of the players that play, like you mentioned, Manny Panther, Clayton Donaldson, yourself, uh, Neil Bishop. But did you feel that the club was going places that, that summer, even though the club had, had fallen just a bit short? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it says a lot, doesn't it? I think we had Clayton Donaldson, Andy Bishop, so we had two of the top scorers, so we must have done something bad at the back in terms of that season. But yeah, I think we, we had a few weaknesses within the team that just couldn't get us over the line. We were still young as well. I was, I was young myself, and we didn't quite have them the experience within the games where we just needed to to see see it out or get us over the line we were quite naive at times but you could see Billy had his way of, of playing and the, the route that he was going to go down his, his challenge was always going to be keeping on to the better players keeping hold of the better players because someone like you Clayton Donaldson they weren't on a lot of money a lot of people around asking questions about him and like one player like that you lose one player like that it's a massive massive blow and it's very very hard to replace you signed permanently that summer and looking back there was a real sort of North East contingent wasn't there really with yourself Brody, Convery, Bowie, Craddock did you boys all travel in together was there a bit of camaraderie between you? Yeah there was I moved to Leeds that year though I ended up moving down to Leeds once I signed on a permanent basis so I think I was six months with the lads and then uh, six months up there uh, six months uh, down at Leeds so uh, yeah there was we obviously all had to travel in together and I've always found that the best like team spirit you've had is when there's a group of lads who sort of bounce off each other like that the North East lads are always always nuts you know people like Broads and Bowie they brought a real energy to the group and even like in the later years when we'll probably go to there was always a core of players five six players who spent an awful lot of time together and brought the group together and the North East lads it, it probably got to a point where they were that close it was sort of a, a group that no one could get into do you know what I mean it might have went the other way with it but they all have the same mentality as well like a, a workman-like mentality I think it's just bred into us up there you know I never know when we're beaten and that's that's always the same with type North East players and North East teams and, and that, that season that, that you signed uh, for your permanent season again it was much improved wasn't it on the on the pitch even though we lost Andy Bishop you, you had a few partners that season Dudgeon, Goodliff, Dan Parzo as well how agonising was it that playoff defeat to Morecambe particularly after taking the lead away in the second leg and obviously we could talk about the decision as well which well, I think the keeper should have been sent off but, but that must have been a real gutting to go so close to Wembley and like I said take the lead and then uh, capitulate to a 2-1 defeat 
Yeah, I think what hurt more for me, I think that was the first season, Wembley was built. So I just built it up in my head that we were going to play there the first season because I've been there as a kid, been there like several times and just the whole, I, I love the whole place and the whole history behind it. And it hurt because I was convinced we'd win the game. I was really convinced we'd win it. I think the first game, there was nothing between us. But then the second game, once we took the lead, I think we'd kept five clean sheets or four clean sheets in a row. So once we took the lead in that game, I thought, we've got this here. Unfortunately, Tommy Evans, you know, he held his hands up after the game and he was in tears. He did make a mistake for the, the first goal and, and that kind of threw us back a little bit. We Again, you don't realise how big Clayton was for us. Clayton was, I think he broke a rib in the incident and you could tell the rest of the game he was so quiet. He used to grab all the games by the scruff of the neck and, and drive us back in but we missed this spark and energy and we didn't, at 2-1, we never looked like getting back into it and that was probably the biggest regret after the game. We didn't really give it a good go. There was no sort of throw in the kitchen think at the end it was just we, did, we just didn't seem to have anything left in us and I think Clay, the Clayton incident really did throw us Yeah and that was Clayton's last game wasn't it do you think Billy McEwen sort of paid the price almost for losing Donaldson and the fact he went for no money as well meant that he couldn't really spend spend much to replace him like you say he was such a key player wasn't he do you think that that was the sort of catalyst for why the club did support the following year yeah well you, again you lose a player like him it's you can have the best recruitment in the world but constantly fulfilling that position of your your best player and top scorer is going to be difficult so that was I would say the catalyst yeah was definitely losing him and then in terms of the recruitment Billy went a different way with it I think we signed like Paul Brayson and Stuart Elliott again different route to what Billy had normally gone down and that was sort of the the next step I think he was trying to take but then he's coaching a different type of player on the training pitch lads who've been around the block lads who might not always agree with his methods and I'm not just saying them too because people like Steve Bowie the year before had bought into it you know but we got off to an awful start that was probably my worst run of form in my career as well the next season just um, I think I'd, I'd finished the back end of the season before so confident I was all summer I was thinking how can I be better so I was thinking right I'll get on the ball a little bit more rather than being safe I'll bring the ball down I'll do this I'll do that and forgot about the basics. And before I knew it, I was in a five, six game run where I was playing terribly. I heard a couple of fans getting on my back and I was still a young lad who hadn't been through this before. And this is why you, you talk about experience and players being able to handle it better. After that spell, I knew how to handle it. When I had one or two games, it was like, right, get back to basics. Where I was trying to do things that I wasn't strong at. I wasn't, I wasn't brilliant on the ball, but I wanted to play out from the back. I was trying to compete with six foot two big centre forwards when I was better dropping off and reading it. But I wanted to be the best at everything and try and, and move on up the leagues. So my form certainly didn't help the, the club's form at the beginning of that season, but Billy stuck with me. I went and seen Billy and I, I just asked for like a little bit of advice on it. And he's, again, he was quite ruthless. He just says, get back to how you were with it. He said, there's no, there's no way I can do it. You've just got to concentrate on sorting it out yourself. And Colin Walker was good during that time, put an arm on my shoulder and like said, pulled me to one side. And he was the kind of one who ushered me towards like, right, this game, just do the basics well. And then you build your farm up block by block from there. You're doing yourself quite down there. By the end of the season, you've not missed a single league game and you've won player of the year. I mean, another club came 14th, but was that some sort of, you know, a little bit of a consolation at the end of that, that campaign that, you know, you've got a personal accolade there? Yeah, but it was just a poor season overall. So it was, it is small consolation. It's nice to pick up awards like that. But I think when defenders pick up awards, it usually means that you haven't had a great season. You want your awards going to your attacking players and you probably find a correlation between that. If you look into it, I don't know. So yeah, it was a consolation and, and I did play 
I think for 56, just 56 games, 57 games that season. I didn't miss one. And that was probably why I got it. I was, I was consistent after that first 10 to 12 games. I did regain my form and, and helped us sort of get back up the table. But it, that was probably my most, probably most important spell in football in terms of forging a career, that two, three months in terms of the failing, really, failing on the pitch and how you deal with it and how you learn from it. So you're sort of saying that you learned more because it was kind of, you know, not going swimmingly as I had done before and, and you know you learn more from adversity than you would in, in kind of loads of success yeah without a doubt I don't think I ever had that dip in form again because it was a case of recognising right I've had, a, I've had a bad game or two here just do the basics well in this game and everything else kind of builds on that your confidence gets gets better but without ever getting too confident learning like I, I got too confident from the end of season when we got beat off Markham in the playoffs I come back and I thought I'm going to be the best player at this level in everything. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I wasn't good enough to do it. And that's why my form dropped a little bit, but I learned an awful lot from it. And the, the following season wasn't much better in terms of the league, um, but Martin Foyle came in and the team eventually got to, to Wembley in the FA Trophy final. You mentioned before about how important Wembley is to you. So that must have been a, a special moment for you to, to play at Wembley. Yeah, it was huge. Um, just the excitement for that and something I could always say, I've, I've played there. We were in a game where the tactics basically were stay in the game for as long as we can and and try and nick something at the other end. We had a couple of chances first half, but they, they were a strong team. They were a really strong team and I, I don't know what minute they scored. It was quite late, but it did feel as though we were going into the game. Looking back now, uh, we weren't going out to win it. It was just to stay in it as long as we could and hopefully nick something at the, at the other end. And... When you look back, Steve Morrison, like he was, he was always a big difference in them games. You know, playing for Stevenage, and you can see the the career he's had. So I was gutted on the day because I did think that might be a one and only chance. You know, to, to play at Wembley and to to walk up the steps as a loser, it, it's it's a horrible feeling. That summer, I, I think probably the FA Trophy run maybe helped generate some funds for the club, and and, and Martin certainly used us, didn't he? I think he brought about eleven players in that summer and spent money, you know, big money on, on like some Michael Gash. What what is it like for a player in that? situation when you, you see these players coming in are, are you aware of who these players are are you kind of getting excited when you see them in training at, at what point as a player do you think you know we can have a real go here at this point there's been two years of pretty poor performance in the league yeah I was excited by it because a big step for the club as well they, they put players in the house so they were signing play, southern based players so I think that was a real statement and then we tried to sign Michael Gash and Darius Charles from Ebb's Fleet now Darius was a centre half so straight away I'm thinking well, it's me, Paz, and he's coming in. One of us is not going to be playing here. So, right, I've got to raise my game because if he's looking for a centre-half, who's he trying to replace here? Is it is it me or Paz? Paz was club captain at the time. I think he might have got all the player awards a year before. So, yeah, definitely raise the game. And then players like um, Alex Lawless, Michael Gash came in. You could see it was a complete step up. And the biggest thing with four years recruitment, all great lads as well. Brilliant lads who, who bonded well. And that was a year where the lads off the pitch spent an awful lot of time together. They were your friends and your mates. You wanted to spend more time together. And it was a huge part of the, the reason we went on the run that year. Because I, I don't think we were one of the great sides that I've played in while I've been at York. But there was a, a brilliant team spirit about us. And um, Foyley got all the, the blends on the pitch right, especially Rhodes and Ranks at the top end. I don't think either of them have had a, a season 
like that they did that year they both brought out the best of each other but it, it's amazing how far team spirit goes and I don't think that we would have got to where we were without that from a fan's perspective I, I thought it was a really exciting season and, and I love doing these interviews when I can look back and, and research them and, and remember you know what a great time it was I mean the FA Cup run in particular as well was really special for me I know it wasn't ideal preparation for the Stoke game given that the team arrived very late but I'd imagine as a defender like yourself facing the likes of James Beattie Ricardo Fuller Sadibi, Sunshine as well, who I imagine is a, maybe a borough hero of yours, I don't know, and Rory Delap with his throw-ins and stuff. That must have been a great experience for yourself to sort of test yourself at that level. Yeah, the travelling didn't bother me, you know. I would, it, the warm-ups don't bother me. So we got, we got out on the pitch and there's already 4,000 York fans behind the goal for a warm-up and I loved that. That was, that was brilliant. The hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you come out the tunnel for a warm-up and your whole away and full because you don't experience that very often at these levels the game itself we knew what was coming but we couldn't stop it it was as simple as that the laps throws killed us and then we tried to have a go at them but even like your broads and your ranks who were quicker and stronger than most players in our league they were up against centre-halves who just ate them up you know they beat them in the air they were quicker than down the sides so it would have been interesting to see if we held on for that lead a little bit longer but we knew what was coming like I said we just couldn't stop it the the lapse draws were something else I was we all had men to mark and we got told who who would they would be aiming for who would they try and take away and I got told the ball would be put on my head I can't remember who I was marking but it would be put on my man and it just sailed over my head two or three times like nowhere near me and you're thinking that the pace on it and that was the one way you turn around and it's gone in your own goal I didn't even see it actually go in off uh, when, when Paz was trying to clear it but I said the pace on the ball was, was very hard to read because we hadn't seen anything like that before you know it was a decent effort wasn't it I mean I, I came away thinking well you know we haven't been disgraced because sometimes those games you, you can go can't you and, and if you're on the end of a bit of a hiding it, it can sort of damage confidence can't it for the league but but I think it almost did the opposite for York I mean we finished fifth that season only 35 goals conceded and I, and I think your partnership with Luke Graham who was sort of signed I think in the January was probably one of my favourites kind of people that you that you partnered at centre-back and the reward was obviously the games with, with Luton which is memorable for lots of reasons Luton dominated the first leg with, with Brodie's goal giving the advantage how confident were you of seeing that job through once once we'd taken a lead at the end of the first leg not very I remember 60 minutes in that home leg I, I was I was breathing hard and they were putting us under so much pressure and I thought we haven't got enough to beat them here we, we're just constantly pinned in but again we go back to team spirit lad just digging in you know and, and getting us and getting us to nil nil and then Brody's goal made a, a huge difference because we'd had so many one nils that season and Foyley's tactics were perfectly set up to, to hold on to one nil leads and before we went to the away game we we knew exactly what we were going to do at what score lines. So if it stayed nil-nil, if we took a lead at one-nil. So I think you, you might have seen it. We took a lead, Brody was straight back into a four-five-one, And then we just shut up shop, you know. They, they didn't really create anything. And that was that was us in our element, really, that season. Having that one-nil lead and, and being able to defend it. I think if they had got a goal and the momentum that the, the crowd would have created, it would have been an interesting last 10-15 minutes. But you're just watching the clock go down. I'm just thinking we're not conceding chances here. We're not even looking on the ropes. We just look comfortable and I'm looking at their body language and they look beat. It was almost like they've given it everything in the first leg and then the first 45 and they can't break us down and you've just seen the body language sap out of them during that second half well there was one particular chance I think we'll come to that I think it's fair to say whenever any York fans mention, mention your name they're immediately transported back to that that second half at Kenilworth Road and you know Tom, Tom Craddock gets beyond the York back line where you 
yourself in hot pursuit. I mean, you mistimed that. It's a penalty, probably a straight red. You know, talk us through that chain of events from from your perspective. I knew I was in trouble as soon as the ball goes over my head because I've played against Craddock where I know he's quicker than me. And then he just kind of gave me a chance with that extra touch. I knew one, as soon as his foot made contact with that ball, I knew I had a chance of getting it. I knew I had to go for it as well. And it gave me the chance to nick it, nick it down the sides. It's not like a, a step-by-step process you can remember because you you're just in the zone, you know. It's just everything you've been playing towards when, from when you were a kid. It just comes naturally. So initially, it's, it's probably my mistake. I should have given him a couple more yards um, for the, the clearance that's gone over my head. I give Ingy a bit of sticks in. He should have been further off his line. But it, it was sort of me rectifying my own mistake. And again, you look and you think, the fans got the hopes up there. And then we just sort of killed it with that tackle. And that was almost then... We're not getting back into this. After that, I don't think we had a shot on target from there. So it, it came at an important time because if, if they had scored that goal, like I said, the, the momentum could have been dangerous. But as it worked out, we just ended up a perfect day, all of it. Even the fans coming on the pitch at the end of it, for me, I love getting in with our fans. We had to go in with our fans and I loved all of that. For football itself, it's not great, but we're sat there, sat in the stands singing Wembley songs and then we're, all the lads get put in a tiny room as well at the back of the stand and for, for 20 minutes, we're all just bouncing off the walls in there, you know. And then even, yeah, everything about it, the journey home, we went straight out to, to Newcastle following it because we had a long break before the player final itself. And yeah, that, again, that, them games just were completely in the zone where probably two of the best performances that I put in during my career but that's that's sort of where I thrived I love playing in front of bigger crowds in front of sellout crowds and good atmospheres Dave Flett I think from the press gave you 10 out of 10 which I don't think he's ever done for any other player uh, before or, or after that must give you a sense of pride as well about, about that performance uh, you know I know you said you made a mistake but clearly Dave didn't think you did that whole game yeah I think it's just a, it's, probably, it's not a 10 out of 10 performance I think it was just the magnitude of the game you know it's a semi-final away at Luton in a hostile environment backs to the wall defending and you make a, a good tackle within the game that kind of gets you it because Blair he gives me some stick about this he, his performance at Ebsleet home and in one of the games he got a 9 he was like what do I need to do to get a 10 and I was like it's got to be a bigger, a bigger game because if he does that at Wembley that's a, an 11 out of 10 you know so yeah it was the magnitude of the game it was yeah, it was a good performance from myself like I said two of my best performances in them two semi-finals um, but the magnitude of the game and I always got on with Dave as well so that's probably why I did it I mean it must have been such an emotionally and, and physically draining a uh, couple of games those Luton ones did it take you I know you said there was a big gap there before the final but did, did it take a bit of time to sort of rest and recuperate before getting back into training or were you itching to get back to, to kind of get on it for the Oxford game I was itching to get back I just remember thinking again I probably had one of the best weeks of training um, leading up to it because I was just in I was just in that zone I was so convinced I was going to put a good performance in in that final no matter what I was just ready for the game and I couldn't wait to get out there where against Stevenage it was more about the occasion itself all I was focused on was winning that game of football against Oxford and uh, going out there and getting not an overconfidence or an arrogance just had a, a strong belief in myself and I looked next to me I had Luke Graham who I had complete trust he was going to put in good performance Ben Perkis Ingy you're just looking round and, and you're looking at lads who you know what you're going to get out of, but we were shell shocked. That I couldn't believe it. Actually, at one point, 20 minutes into the game, it's pouring down the rain. I'm looking at the scoreboard. I think they've just hit the post, and I'm like, "Is this an actual nightmare? Here? Is this is this happening?" You know, because it was everything that you didn't want it to be. And then we got that bit of luck through Ben Perkis. And again, the team spirit probably dragged us back into that game because we should have been dead and buried. And then the second half, we had chances. I think Ranks was a, a 
big, big chance the one he dragged past the, the right-hand post. And you'd say overall, Oxford deserved the win just because of, of that start. But if it was a 70, 75-minute game of football, I think we shaded it. But the first 20 minutes, it, it could have been over. I wonder what Martin was like in the dressing room at, at Wembley that game. Because, like you say, it was just before half-time, I think, wasn't it, that the own goal happened uh, to get York back in the game. But that must have changed what he was going to say originally if it was 2-0. What was he like in general in the dressing room at, at half-time? Was, was he quite calm or what would he be like? Yeah, generally quite calm. He did, he did lose his head a couple of times and a few things flying about, but it was very rare. He was very meticulous with his, with his tactical work and preparation and quite a, a calm and level head when we needed it whether the game was going to well or, or badly so within half I can't actually remember what he was like at half time within the dressing room it was, I just remember the players the players just believed we just believed that we'd do it we believed before the game and then at half time that own goal gave us more belief um, to go in the second half but we just give ourselves too much to do I said that I don't know where that, that 20 minutes came from I don't know and I know he took a bit of stick for coming off his line but you, the, the ones he came out for the ball was zipping that hard off the surface in the warm up with the rain it just didn't zip through for him on the on the occasions and I, I don't know then if he, he came for the second one and he wasn't sure but even then I got back on the line and the finish from was it the first goal yeah Matt Green's first goal I got back on the line and I, I, I said to Wingy take that side because Wingy's running back to the goal and I had the left side covered but he put it in a, the only place in the goal where I, I couldn't reach it and then following that yeah we wobbled we really wobbled and maybe that was the occasion but we, we managed to get it back and Foyley calmed us down at half time we got back to our game plan created the chances but then just got caught with a sucker punch at the end and I think you're right it, it was just uncharacteristic wasn't it at the start because you know had two games with Luton where literally it was so resolute and, and it looked like they were never going to score Luton because of the, the quality of defending and, and, and Ingy making saves and stuff but but Oxford, it was just one of those games. Like you say, anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong in that first 20 minutes and then it's a mountain to climb, isn't it? Do you think there was a bit of a, a, a playoff hangover then the following season? I know Martin Foyle resigned, didn't he, fairly early on. Is, is that sort of, you, know, you hear about that, don't you, playoff hangovers? Is, is that something you're aware of as players or is there anything you can do about it? Or what, what do you think? Not playoff hangover. Again, you start getting picked off a little bit. I think we lost Brody early doors. Kind of knocked the stuffing out of everyone. It, it certainly knocked the stuffing out of me because I thought the year before we'd sort of held on to our better players and went for the better players within the league where the, the next year, we, we always knew Brody was going to go, but it was like, right, what's what's coming in to replace that? Are we going to get a, the best striker from the league below or someone else? And we didn't quite get that. Luke Graham obviously didn't stay, which was a little bit of a law. Greg Young, I'm, I'm good friends with, he came in, didn't really perform to his maximum. So all these things start accumulating. I'd, for me, there was no hangover, certainly not from, from my part. It was just, yeah, it was just disappointing to see the, the squad being broke up because you're losing friends as well around you as well as, as very good players. Gary Mills came in, but so did Luton Town for yourself, which resulted in you sort of handing in a transfer request. Was that because you kind of, you know, you get into your late 20s here, I guess, and, and that might have been your better best chance of getting back in the football league was it financial what what would the what was your reasons behind it there was a whole whole accumulation of factors i think um i was really down we went in newport away and steve top he took the game uh, Foyley had just gone and i got on really well with Foyley. so once once Foyley gone i was i was gutted by that and then we got beat off newport 4-0 and i don't know if i've had a good or bad game and i'd, I'd played well and I felt like I was playing very well, but we were getting poor results. And I was looking around me, with all due respect to the players around, I just didn't feel like players were performing. And then on the way on from Newport, Alex Lawless informed me that 
Luton had activated a 50 grand release clause for him and it was like, well, there's another player who we're going to lose. I'd been informed earlier in the season by a Luton player that they were interested in me. So I kind of knew they were there in the background, but I'd never really thought of it. And then my agent at the time, he asked if, he, if I wanted to pursue it. I said no. But then it come to a point before Mills had came in, I just asked him to put a feeler out and say, like, look, they're still interested because I don't like the way this is going here. We're, we're getting picked off our better players. Um, I don't know what new manager's going to come in. And um, my agent said, look, they are interested in you. They'll put a bid in for you. This is the contract offer they'd give you. Um, I know this is not supposed to happen in football, but it does everywhere. What do you think? And I can't remember my exact thoughts at the time, but it was it sort of threw me a little bit like, wow, this, this is there for me if I want it. And I had mixed emotions because I had that like affiliation with the football club, but I was kind of looking after my career as well, where I didn't know where York were going. It looked like we were sort of going backwards from what we, we tried to do the season before. So yeah, I asked him to pursue it and Luton came in and offered a, a paltry sum, to be honest. I didn't expect the club to accept it. And York basically turned around and said, we'll accept 75,000 or less. Um, Luton put in two or three bids up to that and then they hit 75,000. And I got a phone call, I think it was on a Wednesday, Thursday night, I got a phone call from my agent, 10, 10 o'clock, he says, get your bags packed, they're going to put this bid in tonight, you'll be going down there tomorrow. And drove into training the next day, no one said anything to me at York, no one at all. Um, my agent rang me after training, he says they've turned it down, they've turned the £75,000 down. And that was kind of a trigger of events for me and in the transfer requesting, which kind of regret, but on a, on a selfish point of view, and this is from, from football, like footballers, I was, I, I was kind of, I felt I was undervalued in terms of the contract that was on. Um, and then all of a sudden there's a new contract offer for you a, a two year contract from York with a, a benefit game at the end of it and it's like why has it took till this to, to offer me this and that's the way football works and all that um, I handed the request in and played I think it came out in the paper that day and I played against Southport last night and got booed by a lot of fans but I, I felt mentally strong enough to deal with it and just thought right I'll just get on with my work here and whatever happens happens and then a week or two into it I, I just found myself turning a little bit like I'm enjoying training again Chris Smith came in I was playing with him started enjoying that and Gary Mills was trying to persuade me to stay Chris Smith Ingy they're all like in my ear about wanting to stay and it just sort of thought this is the best thing for me here and I think the Luton ended up coming in with another bid it was the same amount but some like appearance fees and I actually said to my wife I was like I don't think I want to go now but I felt like I was in too far not to so the club turned it down again anyway and me and Jason sort of had it out on the phone where he was if I was Jason I'd have done exactly the same and if he was me he would have probably done exactly the same at that point and we kind of come to that mutual agreement but yeah week by week I was enjoying my football and then said to my agent because Luton were still there hovering ready to put another bid in and I just said look I'm going to sign the contract at York my head's been scrambled by it a little bit and football on a Saturday was my only kind of release where I just enjoyed playing the 90 minutes and um, I'm glad I did it I'm really glad I did it I know sort of the irony of it next season we beat Luton in the playoff final but at the at the time I just seen it as a big opportunity there was I'm not going to lie it was far better financially for me just everything about it at the time did seem the the right move and I don't regret the way it all happened because I had, I had to do the things that I did and the only thing that I can say from it all I, I did give everything at the time you know with York I give everything in training and everything on the pitch and just kind of, kind of kept myself to myself within that 
and sort of let the situation develop. Yeah, it's, it's funny that because on, on my question here, I've got, and you've already answered it, but I've put, do you regret it? Or in a strange backhanded way, was it, did it show you how much York City valued you? Which I think you answered there, but they actually came, you know, realised how much they did value you and offered you that contract. I mean, it did finally come together in 2012 under Gary Mills, but you had quite a frustrating season with injuries, didn't you? And I, I know you will have celebrated like everyone else because of your teammates and everything, but was there a bit of personal frustration there? That, that you know you weren't on the pitch when yeah massively when yeah um, I'd be lying if not the, the best part of it for me was friends and supporters people like the chairman seeing what it meant to them but it didn't quite mean the same to me because I wasn't involved in it you know it was it was I'll be honest it was hard I, I loved that period of my life because it was 20 lads on an absolute high for, for two or three weeks who were all friends and I'll never forget that but I can understand why people, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, when they didn't celebrate the Champions League final, as as much as a part that played in it, they didn't want to celebrate. And that's what I kind of felt like, you know, I was I was buzzing for everyone, but it was like, I wish that was, I wish that was me out there. I wish I'd played in them games. That's not to say there wasn't an elation about it because like I said, I loved that two or three weeks and I was a fan. I was also a fan, you know, to you watching your friends play. But there is that at the back of your mind, I, I wish I was playing out there. I really wish I was playing. How did you find playing under Gary? Was there any difficulties after, you know, wanting to leave or anything like that? Or, or was he pretty, when I interviewed him, he, he said that he, he wanted to kind of persuade you to stay by showing you what he could do. Was it, How did you find playing under him? I love playing for him. I, really, I did really love playing for him. I think that first season, again, I'd reached some of my best form. We we sat climbing the table. I think we got a ninth or tenth. And then I did my ankle against Newport, which reeled me off for the season. Smudges, misses went into labour. Mez and Jamalanda playing centre-half. And we, we just didn't have the strength there. We had two full-backs and it's, it weakened us in the full-back areas as well. I think Darlit in the way was the one where it sort of ruled us out of the playoffs but I couldn't wait to get back but it, that ankle injury I get I got against Newport it was a bad one um, I think I was out for like two or three months and I was close to after having an operation I probably would have been better getting an operation but we went down the route of not not doing it but I was never quite right again and that was my I'd say my hope I, I could never go I would say I could never go to 100% capacity physically after that injury and any time I did I got more injuries and it, it, it kind of set me back. So I come back the next season with Gary Mills. I think I, I must have played the first half of the season, but I was having I was having problems, calf, knee, and an awful lot. And I was just, I didn't quite feel like I was at the level that I should be. And then I can't, I can't remember what ruled me out for the season. I think it was my knee. I think it was December time. I played a, a practice game against Middlesbrough and my knee wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right. And Gary Mills rang me afterwards and he was like, what's the matter with you? And I says, my knee's not right. He says, you need to have a break. Just take like a, a, a month off and get your knee right. So I did that and then come back after the month. And within a week, I was feeling it again. So I ended up going for a scan and I had, I had cartilage damage. I had an operation around February, March time, which ruled me off for the season. And then that was, the, the, I come out of the operation and the surgeon said, look, you've got a hole in your cartilage. You've probably got a year or two left in your plan. He said, it's a, it's a very big hole unless you're going to want, want problems later in life. So um, from then on, I was never quite physically the same player. And it was probably why Gary Mills lost a little bit of trust in me because I couldn't, I just couldn't train at the, the maximum level that I wanted to. Yeah, I, th- I think you played most of your football league games uh, under Nigel Worthington, didn't you? What, what was he like to play for, you know, former international manager? He was good, very good. I thought it was harsh getting rid of Gary. I didn't see Gary leaving 
coming at all. He still had the dressing room behind him. And we still thought we could turn it round. And there was all, it was quite a lot of player meetings at the time, like putting it on each other, not, not, not blaming anyone else. It was like, look, we've got to get ourselves out of this. We've got us into it. We've got a manager there who believes in us and he's given us everything we need. And then we got called back after... It was a Bradford game. Got called back, and obviously Gary had been sacked, and a lot of the lads were were upset by it. For me, I was upset to see him go, but I wasn't going to play or get a new contract under Gary that season. There wasn't a chance. I was injured at the time he got sacked anyway, and once I come back, I think he had lost trust in me. He tried to loan me out to Gamesborough, tried to loan me out of Bradford Park Avenue, which I refused to go to. And then um, Nigel came in, and I'd been out injured for for two months, but he rang me up. Uh, on the Wednesday I just had my first my first boy I hadn't slept in about 36 hours he was like I want you to go to Torquay on Friday I need you in the team so I went down to Torquay on the Friday 60-70 minutes I cramped up to 60-70 minutes I was yeah, physically nowhere near and I felt like that after the game I thought I'm going to have to tell him I'm not right here to, to keep playing the rest of the season he needs to bring someone in um, but then went on a good run after that and felt, felt a lot better for it Yeah and then the following season he, he sort of Sticks with Lowe and McComb, doesn't he, as a centre-back partnership? And I, th- I think you were sub-not used, weren't you, when, when it was the playoff semi-final away to Fleetwood. Was that a bit of a disappointing end for you? Because the following season, you you decided to retire from professional football. Was it disappointing that you didn't maybe get on the pitch to sort of, you know, have one last appearance for York? Or, or were you kind of always, once that injury had happened, like you said, were you always having one eye on, on kind of going into the semi-pro? Yeah, I knew. I, I told Nigel in... January of that year, I, I played probably 20 of the first 25 games, something like that. But I must have had about five or six fitness tests on a Friday just because my, I was, my knee and my back at that point. Um, and it was just getting, my, my whole body was telling me, look, you can't carry on playing full-time football, but I loved it and I wanted to do that, you know. So I kept trying to get myself out there. But I wasn't, I was never quite right and even in games. I was... I was able to talk my way through games in terms of bringing players into positions, but physically I was I was on on a decline. I'll openly admit that. So when John John came in, I knew he was sort of a direct replacement for me. And I, how could I complain? I think we kept we conceded three goals in seventeen games or something like that while I was on the bench. It was an unbelievable record. And all all Nigel asked me to do, I told him at the end of January I was going to retire at the end of the season. All he asked me to do was just keep on top of my fitness without going over the top and be there if anything happened to to John and Loy. So, yeah, I would have liked that sort of cameo. And I think we took the lead against um, Oxford 1-0 at home, which guaranteed us, not Oxford, sorry, Oxford were playing somewhere else. And if Oxford didn't win and we won, we were in the playoffs. And Oxford were losing, we were beating Newport, I think it is 1-0. And I'm telling Nigel the score. I'm like, look, Oxford are losing, you know, we're winning, can I get on? He told me, have a go, go and have a warm-up. But he was that professional. He was never, ever going to risk at 1-0. I think it was if we got another one, he would have done it. And I was going on up front. Um, but he was that professional. He, he was never going to change. And then, yeah, it was just a matter of staying fit for the, the semi-finals. And we just didn't quite have enough that year to to get up and it was, it was miraculous what we did anyway when you look at it I think we were second, third, bottom in December and then to get in the playoffs from there was incredible especially with that run that we had from Christmas time when I dropped out of the team It would have been uh, it would have been nicer wouldn't it if it had finished at Wembley that season and you'd have got on maybe in the in the playoff final, wouldn't it? But it, but it wasn't wasn't to be. You mentioned that you retired from the program that summer. You had a spell with Harrogate Town and and, and Hard United, and, and you're now manager of Hard United. Who who sort of influences you the most in terms of you know because most most of your career you've been managed 
by York City managers. So who would you say has had the biggest influence on you as a manager from who you've played under? Uh, not in terms of a direct influence. It's just more um, taking the best parts of each manager. I'd, I'd never look to copy anyone. And that's not just uh, Martin Foyle or Gary Mills. Or It's it's a little bit of everyone, everyone you ever meet. So I, I spend a lot of time going out and, and chatting with other managers now within the current game and taking like a little bit, like Simon Weaver was one with, with Simon. I knew at Harrogate that he had a he had a rubbish budget when he first started and he went through some rough times. And last year at Hyde, we didn't win in eight, nine games. I had no money to bring anyone in. We, we were full of young kids and just picking up little bits. How did you deal with that? How did you end up turning that around? And just picking little bits of advice up from everyone, some good, some bad. And you've got to choose what you think are the good parts and try and put them into to how you play. In terms of the style of play, it, it, I can't compare how we play to anyone. In, in terms of how we've played over the years. Did initially start with like a, a sort of a Billy McEwen, Martin Foyle, the organisation from it, but sort of developing myself and evolving myself as a coach. I want to play more attacking and more front foot football, sort of what you're seeing in the Premier League now. Again, can't copy anyone, but sort of taking the best parts of it. And I, I'm a f- big football fan myself and I, don't want, I wouldn't want to go and watch a team that's sat behind the ball. I want to develop a team that has a go at the opposition, no matter who that opposition is. So that's probably more of the Gary Mills mould. You know, this is how we're going to play. But I do also concentrate on the opposition, which is probably of a Martin Foyle, Nigel Worthington mould. You know, so trying to find yeah the best parts of each of each manager, you'd say, and sort of bring it together. Uh, and are you able to sort of ring some of those ex-managers up? Are you, are you on good terms with them to sort of ring them and say, oh, you know, I'm I'm going through this situation. What what would you advise, or or do you just kind of do your own, own thing I do ring managers but not always ex-managers so just you meet coaches on your A licence your B licence um, I went for the, the Darlington interview when Martin Gray joined York and Steve McLaren was on the panel so that was another one afterwards he rang me and he was like look there's my number come and meet me anytime so I've been to meet him two or three times in, in the previous year just if you can't pick up a little bit from an ex-England manager then who can you pick it up from so I've I've spoke with Foyley in the past. I asked Foyley's advice about a job that came up previously, whether I should take it or not. I speak to Gary Mills uh, more on a social level when I've seen him at that the charity events. So yeah, it's not just the managers themselves. It is just picking up snippets from from everyone you kind of meet in the game. And does it replace the buzz of playing? Because I, you know, you mentioned there you wanted to kind of keep. I'm sure without those injuries, you would have you would have played a lot longer, wouldn't you? Well into your thirties. Does it does it replace the buzz being a manager? I imagine it's different sort of pressures. It gets a, it's a huge pressure compared to playing. But I I feel like I'm more suited to management than I was playing. Maybe that's um, the, the last few years might have put sort of a, a slight on that with my injuries because I'm going into to train and knowing you're injured or playing in games where you know you're not at a hundred percent. So as much as I love playing. I do feel like I'm, I'm more suited to management. It's with with management. It is just when I say in the zone, you're in the zone all of the time. With, with playing, you get them periods throughout your career where you have it and you play the best football. You feel the most confident you've ever been. With management, you're just constantly in that zone, having to make decision after decision after decision, looking after your players, your staff. But I love doing it. I absolutely love doing it. And there's a buzz from getting three points on a, on a Saturday, but you come back to ground pretty soon because you've got to think about the next game. Um, as a player, you didn't. You just, right, I'll enjoy my Saturday night. I'll rest Sunday and then it's back to, to work on Monday. Where on a on a Saturday, I'll have a glass of wine in the office with the, with the staff, but then it's right on the front of the scout of the game. He's just watched for the, for the next one. What's next? And... 
I love doing it. I absolutely love doing it. And my ambition is to get back into this at a full-time level. But before I can do that, I've got to prove my worth at Hyde and hopefully take us on to some sort of success this season. And that was sort of leads me on quite nicely to the next question. It's probably hard to answer given that you are uh, currently employed by Hyde, but would you consider managing York City in the future? Would, would that be a, an ambition, you know, managing York City maybe in the Football League? Yeah, of course. It's, it's a full-time, like I said, it's a full-time club. That's, it's not my, my only ambition. My ambition is not just York City. I want to get to. I want to get beyond York City. That's that's my ambition to be best manager and best coach I can possibly be. But yeah, it's something that I'd love to do in the future. But who knows? They've got a good manager there who's he's been very unlucky last season not to get promoted. I think. I personally think they would have won the league last season if the season had carried on as it is. And it's it's a very difficult job at the moment because of the pressure involved. From the supporters mainly, the supporters and the right, York City are not a Conference North club or National League North, what it's called now. And week in, week out, everyone is expecting York to beat whoever they're playing against. And I think Gary Mills came in with an attitude at the conference level and it was very similar. Where it was like, respect where we are. You've got, unfortunately, we are a Conference North club and we've got to respect everyone we're playing against and get our heads around that until we get promoted we are in this league and he sort of changed the mentality a little bit and I think Steve Watson did that last season and I don't want to stand here and say I want the York City job because like I said there's someone in place and he's a very good manager my sole focus is doing a good job at Hyde and then I'll see wherever that takes me from there but my, my ambition is to get back into the full-time game at some point So let's finish with York City then so I asked you if you could um, get together a, a, your all-time 11 um, which must have been quite hard leaving certain players out but I guess you do that most Saturday so you're at Hyde so uh, are, you, are you ready to reveal your 11? Yeah um, in goal Ingy again love playing with Ingy a good friend of mine he's someone again you just turn around and you know what you're getting week in week out and we talked about Ingy's mistakes in 300, 350 games whatever he's played you could probably count them on one hand and that's incredible for a goalkeeper I know Nick Pope came in obviously if we're talking about ability wise you've got Nick Pope but in terms of who I played with and who I could Trust. I think I played three games with Pope, but with Ingy, I just knew week in, week out what you were going to get from him. Brilliant in the dressing room. He's someone, I think you look at York, they should have done everything they could to keep Ingy around the football club. Someone who cares passionately about the football club. And he's a very good goalkeeper coach as well. And sort of keep that heart of the club there, the culture. I know he'd, have, he'd loved an opportunity like that, but it kind of ended a little bit sourly for him. Yet he still holds the, the club close to his heart. So Ingy would be, be my goalkeeper, closely followed by Nick Pope for the three games that I played with him. Ben Perkis at right back. Just Pips Lanray, but Ben's always in my ear. Ben will watch and listen to things like this and he'll call me why I had in your team. So Ben, again, someone you could just look at and trust. And he went on to, to League One. Paz and Luke Graham, I couldn't split, so I'll put them together. Again, just good lads who you get seven, eight out of ten every week, no matter how the game's going, whether it's a game you're doing badly in and losing 4-0, they're still going to put the same performance in. Or if you're winning the game 3 or 4-0, great lads in the dressing room as well. Left back, uh, James Meredith, speaks volumes at the level he went on to play at. And I think there was one season, the playoff season, he, he went from being like a little boy to a man and putting some big, big performances, including the Luton games. Bit of a strange formation. It's a 4-2-4, uh, trying to squeeze everyone in. So centre midfielders, Neil Bishop, again, some 
someone who grabbed all the games by the scruff of the neck and that season under Billy I looked at him in training you could just see he was going beyond our level he was he was too good for some of our our players in training I thought he's not going to be with us much much longer physically he had it mentally he had it and again the play you can see why he played at the level he did next to him Scott Kerr Scott Kerr he drove us on at times he really drove us on in games where the confidence was low if you're 1-0 behind he is someone who just said give me the ball and there was again things you don't forget about Scott Kerr he he had an awful game one game, but in training on Monday, he wanted the ball in every single situation as though to say, right, I've had a bad game, but this is how you react to it, you know. And it was probably testament to Gary Mills and his tactics. When, when I seen Scott Kirk, I was watching the game looting away. When I seen him go off, I thought that could have cost us promotion because he was that big a player for us. But Gary Mills did move things around well to get us over the line. But yeah, Scott... Scott was brilliant and really, really drove us from midfield. On the right, Clayton Donaldson, he actually played there for us with um, Billy McEwen. He was, I think, in right, Andy Bishop left and Joe O'Neill up top. So I've had to push him out to the right. Speaks volumes again, the, the level that he's gone to and the, the career that he's had. And he single-handedly kept us at the top end of the table that year in terms of the, the way he changed games with his pace and goals. On the left, Martin Wolford. Get huge blow losing Woolley from the Colin Walker season where we did well. You lose Woolley, and he was a massive part of why we'd done well. These attacking players are, are huge and they're really hard to replace. And delighted for Woolley because he was someone who tra- I travelled in with Woolley from the Leeds area, but he would go home and he'd go and practice in a little small gym he had, right foot, left foot. And he watched the playoff final, League One playoff final, cutting in, scoring with his right foot. And you think that's something he's worked on time and time again and he's now scored at Wembley to get his team promotion and that's the sacrifice that he made to get to the level that he got to and then two through the centre Jason Walker he was untouchable for a period of time at York for, for three or four months and I think a lot of clubs were in and around him I think it, I don't know if he got an injury that season it kind of knocked him back a little bit but he'd have got a move a big move I think if he'd have carried on the way he was everything he was touching was just turned to gold I think the free kicks at Braintree even in training we're doing little competitions and hitting the flag from like 100 yards away he's managing you know to do it and yeah he just had that confidence about him where no one could reach his level and with him Andy Bishop again another player who went on to far bigger and better things because slightly different to, to your Clayton's Bish was just a natural finisher and he knew where the goal was and he had the, the technique to, to put any chance away well I mean if you had that side <laughs> equivalent of that side playing for Hyde I'm sure you'd uh, shoot through the leagues I mean that was uh, you know incredibly attacking thanks Dave I really appreciate your time um, I hope you've enjoyed going over some of your York City memories yeah yeah thank you yeah David McGurk there opening the new series of York Hospital Ball hope you enjoyed that I certainly really enjoyed hearing his refreshing honesty throughout that interview and I also loved the fact he was so humble about pretty much everything in his career particularly the uh, Luton Town tackle where he had every right to blow his own trumpet there it was such such a fantastic challenge that he put in and without it who knows we might not have even had that Wembley trip there in 2010. Also special thanks to Planning Prospects who have sponsored this episode and this series. It's our biggest ever sponsorship deal, so we're really grateful to them for getting behind the podcast. Paul said at the top of the show there, if you've got any land or property that you need planning permission for, then uh, get in touch with them, planningprospects.co.uk. 
And finally, the thanks as always goes to you, the listener, for tuning in, getting behind the podcast. It goes without saying, I never ever tire of uh, reading people's messages and people being so positive about, about the interviews. And please do keep spreading the word. We're very, very close to reaching 10,000 downloads in total, which to say that we only started doing the podcast a little over a year ago is uh, a massive achievement for us. So thanks again. We will be hopefully releasing another podcast later this week. And then uh, the last two episodes of the series will do on a weekly basis. So keep those messages coming in. Keep supporting the podcast. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.